Okay, I guess we can start. Uh, appreciate you all coming and finding this theater. My name is uh, Jim Tompkins. I'm the founder and chairman of Tompkins International. And we're going to talk today about, oh, don't move your, yeah, talk up there. Unichannel fulfillment. And we're going to talk about the three mega trends. And we're going to talk a little bit about the past, a little bit about the present, but mostly what we're going to talk about is the future. And so we pre present the past and the present as kind of a context of how we can move into the future. Um, are you hearing me okay? Okay? Good, okay. So this slide, I must share you, with you, or my attorney gets mad. What this slide says is that I'm not using any secret stuff. I'm not stealing anyone's private information. Um, everything that you hear is either public information or something that I just made up. And so uh, we'll have a chance to share about what I think is going on with uh, unichannel commerce. The um, three megatrends, oh, I, wow. Keith, could you take that and move it that way? Yeah, the whole thing. Oh, here comes the man. Don't do that. Okay, I can't see that. I didn't know it was there. This podium is higher than that is. And so it's uh, either I'm going to be doing this or we're going to, ah, uh, getting there. So what we're going to talk about is three megatrends. Um, let me show you what the three megatrends are, and then we'll get into some depth as to what they're talking about. The first megatrend is they're seeing a continuous evolution from what was acceptable in the past, which was continuous improvement, to what's acceptable in the present, which is transformation, to what's going to be acceptable in the future, which is reinvention. And so we're going to talk about how does that progression evolve and why is it important that that takes place. The second megatrend is that with the increased complexity of what we're doing, there is no longer an objective of dealing with what the optimal solution is, but rather we have to deal with optionality. And what is the thought process that takes us from optimizing to establish the optimality. I see some of you taking notes or taking pictures of the slides, perfect. That's great, go ahead. But also, if you got scanned, I'm gonna send you a copy of all the slides anyway. So uh, we'll get you the base slides and you can add whatever you want. Um, the third megatrend is that the speed of change and the rate of innovation is awesome but when you add to that entrepreneurship, and then you add on to that what we're going through today, current, which is disruption, what we find is that it's very difficult to keep pace of what's happening. These three megatrends kind of form a state of the union, which boils down to something called VUCA. And we'll talk about VUCA a little bit in one of the slides later, but VUCA is something that was invented by 1988 by the U.S. Army War College. 
And they invented VUCA because they said there needs to be a new way of addressing problems when the Berlin Wall falls and when the Soviet Union collapses. And what VUCA is, is volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And so when you take volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, and you tie it together, what you find yourself in is a scenario that very much fits today. Here we are in, in, in Atlanta. We're supposed to have a huge trade show, and then this virus comes. And what's the impact of that on, on virtually everything? The Uber driver this morning from the airport was complaining about it. Um, the hotels are not selling the rooms that they thought they were going to sell. And so VUCA and the speed of change and the rate of the pace of things is really evolving very rapidly. So the first mega trend we want to look at is the evolution from continuous improvement to transformation to reinvention. This is actually a bug story. Now you say a bug story, what, what does that mean, Jim? What, what are you talking about a bug story? Well, I'm talking about bugs. There's three types of bugs. There's bugs which are a-metroboli. A in Latin means no. So a-metroboli means no metamorphosis, okay? They change, but they don't really evolve. They're the same. Then there's transforming, which is hemi-metroboli. Hemi means semi, partial. And then holo, which means fully, total metamorphosis. And so let's look at these bugs. If we look at a A-metroboli bug, an A-metroboli bug is continuous improvement, and it's a baby ant. A baby ant, when it gets big, is an adult ant, and it's basically the same as the baby. It looks alike, it's, it's larger, but the ant has not changed in any way. You and I are A-metroboli. We're born, we're little, we get big, we get old, we lose our hair, we lose our sight, other things go, but it's still us, okay? If I looked at a picture of you when you were five years old and I look at a picture of you today, I could say, oh yeah, I see you. You're, you're, you're there, you're, you're the same. You and I are a-metroboli. So we, we change in that we grow, but we're still really the same person. To the contrary, with a baby grasshopper, what we see is transformation. Where a baby grasshopper starts out small, but then it gets big, but now there's some substantial change. The baby grasshopper has no wing sockets. They have no wings, no wing sockets. The baby grasshopper has no reproductive organs. It's not that they're there and not used. No, there are none. If you, if you bi biologically open them up, you'll find nothing to do with wings, nothing to do with reproduction. But the adult grasshopper has wings, and the adult grasshopper has reproductive organs. And so there's a, when, when, the, when it goes through puberty, the, the grasshopper goes through a transformation and becomes something totally different. From a reinvention point of view, what we do is we look at the caterpillar. The caterpillar is a little dust-sucking worm that crawls on his belly in the dirt never has a chance to do anything but just crawl around in the dirt. When little kids see the caterpillar, they say, oh, yucky. You know, it's kind of creepy. But then one night, the caterpillar takes a nap, and he wakes up in the morning, and he finds himself in a cocoon, and he comes out of the cocoon, and he says, holy cow, I'm a butterfly. 
In fact, he says, holy metroboli. It's a total metamorphosis. It's a totally different thing. And now instead of the kids saying, oh, creepy, they're now saying, oh, look, a beautiful butterfly. Isn't that cool? Isn't that exciting? So very, very interesting what takes place with this reinvention. Now, depends on your age, but if you started your career 30 years ago, you could be very successful doing continuous improvement. But if you continue to do that with the rate of change, you became obsolete. Continuous improvement is not good enough. And we had to get into transformation, and that takes us from about 2010 to about 2018. After 2018, if all you do is continuous improvement and, tr and transformation, you're not going to be good enough. You have to reinvention. And so if we look at a life cycle of a company, we can see that we have a company that's starting out doing pretty well, is doing continuous improvement. Things are fine. Everything's good. But then what happens is there's a disruption that takes place, and that disruption is a disruption in service or in product. If what you do is try to do continuous improvement, when there's a disruption in product or a disruption in service, you're going to fail. You're going to be bankrupt. You go out of business. But what you need to do at that point is you need to transform. You need to become hem uh, hemi-metaboli. You have to go through a transformation. And that transformation will allow you to continue to be successful until there is a total change in the industry by having a different business model. And when you have a different business model, what, if you, if what you're trying to do is continuous improvement and transformation, you'll fail. And what you need to do is you need to be beyond continuous improvement and transformation and you need to reinvent. And so which of these is most important? Well, all of them are important. You need to do continuous improvement all the time. You need to do transformation. It depends what industry you're in, but if you're in retail, you got to do transformation at least twice a year. And if you're in electronics, you probably got to do it four times a year. But then what you need to do is when there's a major change in the business model, you need to do reinvention. And that needs to take place every couple years. And so there's a continuous process of moving from continuous improvement to a transformation mindset to a reinvention mindset. We got to get that. We got to grab that and understand that. The second major point we want to talk about is the issue of complexity. Complexity has taken us in commerce. And so this could be B2B, it could be B2C, it could be in stores, it could be any commerce, any buying and selling of products. The complexity of the business has grown to the point that we're almost out of control. I can't go through a single day without getting several articles on my desk that talk about same-day delivery, that are talking about the requirements of the customer. Now, do we have to do same-day? I don't think so. Do we need to move in that direction? Yeah. I can recall uh, giving a speech a couple years ago where I said that doing five-day delivery for online was unacceptable. We have to move to three-day. And the audience was ready to tar and feather me. They thought I was crazy. Well, nowadays, if you do three-day, you're obsolete. Everyone does two days, and we're moving towards next day. And so there's a, a, a complexity here that evolves. Let me talk about the top several issues that I think we need to address from a uni-channel, uni-fulfillment, uni-marketing, 
you need technology requirements. First of all, distributed logistics. You have a problem in that the customers want their product delivered quickly, but they want it delivered inexpensively. And so the real world is what? Quick and expensive or slow and inexpensive. But they want quick and inexpensive. And so how, how do you do that? Well, you can't do it by uh, using air. You can't use it by building 20 fulfillment centers. But what you can do is you can participate in 20 fulfillment centers. And so you don't own the building. We're going to have a light model, and we're going to use 3PLs. But what we can do is, is have fast and inexpensive by having our inventory distributed. And so what we need to think about is how do we get in market? How do we do same day in maybe some of the major cities, maybe next day in the, most of the other cities, and then we do two day and three day, two day where most people live and three days where they have bears in the backyard. And so we, we can think about this in, in, in channels, but we need to have distributed logistics and we need to have a light business model. If you don't have a light business model, what you'll find is you won't be able to build enough critical mass in your business to create these economies of scale that are needed. And so what you do is you go with a 3PL type model and you have multiple people in there which allows you then to get the economies of scale. We need to make sure, and there's plenty of examples on the floor here at Modex, of automated, portable, modular, agile, each order picking. It's no longer about case picking. Even if you're a consumer products good company, it's not about case picking, it's about each picking. Mrs. Brown wants one of these, one of these, and one of these. She doesn't want a case of this or a case of that. She wants one each. So we need to have methods of doing each picking. And that's typically going to be a robotic type of picking environment. And so when you walk the floor, you're going to see, uh, I don't know, something like 80 robot type booths. And so there's lots of opportunities there. A challenge we have when we try to have distributed logistics, we try to spread our inventory out, is the issue with respect to the amount of safety stock we have to hold. We all know the old square root rule. If you go from one fulfillment center to three, you're gonna to have to increase your safety stock by a square root of three or 1.7 times. Well, that results in a very poor return on invested capital. You can't afford to do that. And so what we need to do is we need to be able to not deal with safety stock by pushing inventory. We need to deal with the flow of inventory by pulling. Okay, and so we have developed a model called DIFF, Distributed Inventory Flow Forecasting, that allows you to forecast the flow of goods, not the stock of goods. And by doing it in that way, we have the opportunity to have more distributed inventory without increasing the quantity of inventory. A very, very, very big point that a lot of companies don't get yet is the reality of sell anywhere. A lot of folks started selling in stores and then they added some websites and then they thought, well, we've got this now. Well, they might have it for a certain demographic profile, but they probably don't have it for others. I was dealing with a company that sells shoes. Their goal was to have 1% of the shoe market in the United States for uh, men and women over 16 years old. 
what we found is that they did very well for shoes for men 50 years and up. The shoes for men 30 to 50, they didn't do so well. And the shoes for uh, men of 16 to 30 was terrible. Women was terrible across, across the, 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 the entire demographic. Young, middle-aged, old, none of the women were doing well with buying these shoes. Why? What happened? Well, if you look at the way they were going to market, they were going to market where the older guy shopped. And it's the old thing about uh, fish where the fish are. If you're selling something to a market and you're only selling it to the older men, don't be surprised that the only place you're doing well is with the older men. And so what we need to do is we need to be able to sell anywhere. And so we need to say, okay, where are the younger males shopping? Where are the younger females shopping? Where are the older females shopping? And we've got to understand where that is, and we need to make that happen. And, and the way we make that happen is with retail science. Retail science is kind of the fish finder. Where are the fish? Where are the middle-aged men? And maybe it's not just men, women by age. Maybe there's other demographics that we need to look at and understand because different people shop different places. And so you need to make sure that your product is sold anywhere. And then you have a way of managing that so that you can have a order management system, a distributed order management system, and then you can have the inventory in the right location so that you can fill the product to the customer and get it there quickly and inexpensively. The last thing you need to do is have a, whoops, I already pushed that button. Yeah, last thing you need to have is an integrated technology suite. This integrated technology suite is what enables everything above it. And so the whole business of fulfillment for commerce is totally different than it was five years ago. This gentleman asked me before I came up, was I gonna talk about Alibaba and Amazon? And the answer to that is kinda yes, kinda no. I'm not gonna mention their names, but the reality is Amazon and Alibaba is what's setting the standard. And so we're chasing that standard to try, try to catch up with what they're offering clients. Does anyone need same-day delivery for product? Well, maybe for some medical products or something, maybe. But when Amazon offers them same-day delivery, guess what? They'll take it. Okay? And so what they're doing is they're setting the standard, and we need to be able to respond to that standard. When we look at this, when we try to understand this unichannel fulfillment requirements, what we have to do is we have to ask the question, are we interested in optimality or optionality? I have a PhD from Purdue in industrial engineering, was heavily oriented towards operations research. So I am very familiar with optimizing solutions. I love to optimize solutions. It makes me feel good. The challenge we have is that today, there the, the, was so uncertain, so much uncertainty out there, um, it's very difficult to be able to define the requirements clearly. If you have someone that's able to put down very precise, clear requirements of the future, I think they're either a genius or an idiot because none of us know. There's so much uncertainty. There's things that happen every day that are just blowing our minds. And so the answer to uncertain and volatile times is what I call anti-brittle. Anti-brittle. What's anti-brittle? Well, anti-brittle is the opposite of being brittle. Anti-brittle is the ability to deal with VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Okay, now I'm going to show you a picture of something that is brittle. 
And once you see that brittle thing, you're going to be able to understand what does anti-brittle mean. Here it comes. Wow, I like that. Let me do that again. I don't know if I can. Can I do that again? Yeah, here it comes. Woof, that's brittle. I've designed some solutions that look like that. Okay, the, the solution only works in a certain little margin, not in the reality of the day-to-day -day fluctuations, the month-to-month -month fluctuations that are taking place. And so what we need to do is we need to understand how do we deal with this optimality versus the optionality kind of conundrum we have here. Should we be trying to establish optimal solutions or should we be developing solutions that offer us a series of optional solutions that we adapt to over time? So in other words, don't tell me this is the right answer. Tell me this is the right answer, except on the last week of the month, we're going to make it work like this, except when holiday comes, we're going to have it work like this. And then when returns happen, it's going to come like, I got to have the options. I got to understand, how does this thing live and not just meet my requirements on some theoretical norm. An anti-brittle solution is a solution that is about options. I know how I'm going to adapt and respond to the real world VUCA, and so I can respond in a way that allows me to continue to operate efficiently and effectively um, without having to blow up. I believe anti-solutions are solutions that allow us to be deployed over time to meet the short-term requirements for that time. That's the new standard. The standard isn't about optimizing the return on investment. That's not adequate. That's, not, that's how we did it when we were in transformation, but now that we're in reinvention, you can't do that. It's too quick. Optionality is superior to optimality. And in fact, I believe the new optimal is options. And so that's a different way of thinking, and that's why it's a megatrend. The third megatrend that we have to deal with is the issue of the change, the speed of change, and the level of innovation, entrepreneurship, and disruption. Three things that are going on, DDD, digital, disruptive, and distorted. And so the digital era is changing how we do business. I was with Keith in Chicago, the guy who was trying to break the guy's monitor. Um, I was in Keith, with Keith in Chicago last week, and he wanted to make sure we were in time for our meeting, so what did he do? He ordered a cab. I said, a cab? He said, yeah, I think it'll be more reliable. Well, we did get there, but we almost ran off the road, and Keith wound up using his GPS, and was I don't know what language this guy was talking. Um, you didn't take a cab to this place, did you, Keith? No, no, you, Uber, yes, thank you very much. Um, it's a new era, um, disruptive in that we really need to understand you're, you're either being disrupted or you're the disruptor. It's your choice. And then we're dealing with this distortion of reality through VUCA. So if we look at the digital era, what we see at this era thing began about 11,000 years ago in agriculture. And for 11,000 years, we've evolved. And in fact, agriculture is still evolving. You know one of the main drivers of the evolution of agriculture? The digital world. The digital world is upsetting how we do agriculture. 
200 years ago, we began the industrial era, and the industrial era is, era is still evolving, and one of the main drivers there is digital. And so then we began, about 30 years ago, the digital era, and the digital era is where we are dealing with new products, new services, and new business models. And so the new products and new services is what took us from continuous improvement to transformation. What took us from transformation to reinvention was new business models. And so what we're seeing is the digital imperative is resulting in a requirement that we all vigorously pursue digitization. We have no choice. I don't care what business you're in. I don't, I, you know, it doesn't matter what business. I, I'm in designing and implementing uh, material handling and logistic solutions. That's what I do for a living. Guess what? I have to be digital. Uh, I have a sideline. I'm in the hotel business. Guess what? You have to be digital. Um, no matter what business you're in, you, you have to be digital. Uh, today we have the opportunity to start anew and to build a new world. And so if you're doing it today the same way you did it 20 years ago, you're obsolete, you're gone, you're history, you're not gonna make it. And so it all has to be new. Organizations that take control of the disruption cycle are gonna surpass organizations that pursue continuous improvement. And so that begs the question, what is the disruption cycle? The disruption cycle begins with innovation. I guess she liked the word innovation, she screamed, yeah. Um, so innovation is where it all begins, but the problem we have is with innovation, it has to go through to entrepreneurship, and then both innovation and entrepreneurship, you have all sorts of people around you that want to tell you it won't work. It's too risky, it's too different. And being that risky and being that different, it's not going to work. Now, here's something I've learned. Let's say I have a vision of the future. And with that vision of the future, I've got some innovation and some entrepreneurship. You have the vision of the current, of the present. Are you gonna agree with my vision, my path, my innovation, my entrepreneurship for the future if you have a different perspective? Because you're thinking now, I'm thinking future, I've developed a solution for the future, but you're saying to me, Jim, it won't work. I am an innovation guy, I'm an entrepreneur guy. I am surrounded with people that are telling me, Jim, that won't work, Jim, that won't work. My wife tells me that. Um, after starting my business in 1975, we had lost control of it by 2015, and I was controlled by Blackstone. So after, uh, what's that, 40 years in business, um, Blackstone's controlling my house, what do I do? I'm obviously gonna be more than 60 years old at that point. I buy it back. People said, Jim, at your age you can't buy things, at your age you sell things, you don't buy things. And I said, but I did, I bought it back. And they said, well, you can't do that. So you know what I concluded? I must be getting younger, okay? I mean, that's the only conclusion. So each year, when I have a birthday, I get a year younger. I mean, that's how, the only way I can explain that. But so we're innovative, and we're, we have entrepreneurship. The innovation and entrepreneurship oftentimes get rest in peace. People tell us it won't work, so we give up, we quit. Now, this isn't a, 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 a rocket ship that we're shooting to the moon and we miss the moon. This is a rocket ship that never got off the launching pad. 
Okay? It, it's failed. It, it, it hasn't made it work. Once we overcome that, and we take that innovation, that entrepreneurship, and we become a disruptor, we say there's a different way of doing things. There's a different economic model. There's a different way of, of servicing the customers. We can disrupt that. Oh, there's a chance there to become too risky and too different as well. But if we're bold, if we are really, really bold, we have the opportunity to disrupt the status quo. If we disrupt the status quo is when cool things happen. That's exciting. That's really neat. And so when you disrupt the status quo, what you find is that there's a cycle between being the disruptor of the status quo and being the established firm. Now, the gentleman mentioned Alibaba and Amazon. Who's doing most of the disrupting in new retail? Alibaba and Amazon. And who are they disrupting? Alibaba and Amazon. Okay, so if you're in an industry where the people who disrupted you last time are disrupting you again, you're falling behind. And so, as I said earlier, you either need to disrupt somebody or you're going to be disrupted. You gotta get into the game of disruption. So if you're going through this cycle of the disruption cycle, the first step is incubation. And incubation is when you are experimenting. And incubation then leads to validation. And you know what, valid, validation is a very nice word. What my experience there is, that's when you're messing up. That's when you made mistakes. You turn left when you should have turned right. Guess what? That's marvelous. Not that you made a mistake, but that you have an opportunity to learn. Okay, so that's how it works. That is what disruption cycle is about, is having a new concept trying it out, messing around with it, refining it, learning from it, and then that allows you to become the new status quo. When you become the new status quo, that's when you get professional management, and that professional management allows you to become the established firm. Now the interesting thing is, you know what the old established firms are saying right now? What they're saying right now is they've just been disrupted and there's a new established firm is, well, what we're going to do next year is the same thing we did last year, but we're going to work harder this time. How dumb can you get? You've been whopped, and you don't know it. There's another group of people that are too risk-averse to continue on that cycle, and what they say is, well, this is a disruption, but they're not going to disrupt me because I'm one of the stronger competitors left. What I'm going to let them do is I'm going to let them eat the, the weaker competitors, and I'll still be okay. Well, that's like, you know, it reminds me of the old story about the two guys camping up on the mountain, and they wake up in the middle of the night, and there's a bear right outside their tent, and the two guys jump up and start putting on their shoes so they can run down the hill. And they're both thinking, I don't have to unrun, outrun the bear, I just got to outrun my buddy. And so that's the thought process. Well, guess what? The disruption bear, he is going to chase you down, and he's going to take the slower competitor, and he's going to eat him. But the disruption bear doesn't stop. The disruption bear keeps running. And he's going to eat you and, and everyone else that doesn't join the evolution. And so what we have to do is understanding that resistance of change is going to result in rest in peace, and we're not going to make it. What we find after the established firm is new innovation. Now, that's, you know, Jeff Bezos says it's day one again. What does that mean? 
That means we got to have a new innovation today. It's day one. It's the first day of business. We got to be innovative. And so then what we need to do is we need to take that innovation. We got to have some courageous leadership. We got to be bold and then we're going to disrupt the old disruptor, which is the last status quo. And so this allows us then to have a profitable growth and value creation by pursuing the disruption cycle. We need to understand how to march around that disruption cycle and how to stay out of the hands of our friends that are saying, oh, that's too risky, that won't work, and how we can keep running faster and faster and faster and stay away from the disruption bear. This begets disruptive innovation. And this disruptive innovation says that what we need to do is we need to pursue the disruption cycle with innovation and boldness. Innovation so you have the gas in the engine and boldness so you don't quit. We have to, we got to understand that disruption is a high stakes game and it has high rewards. Now what some people misread that statement, they think I'm saying it's high risk. The fact of the matter is what is high risk? High risk is not following the disruption cycle. High risk is failing to follow the disruption cycle. The risky thing is not traveling on the disruption cycle because you are going to be toast. You're, you're not going to make it. And so what we find is the process of changing the world and in innovation, the, the process of changing the world in innovation time is disruption. And so what we need to do, what disruption are we doing now? If last year you did five disruptions, this year you need to do six. What are you doing that's innovative and entrepreneurial that's going to change the game? You can't keep doing distribution like you have been. There's no labor available. You can't keep doing distribution assuming you're shipping full cases or full pallets. You gotta ship each to customers. So the game has changed, and so the question is, how do we really make that happen? I think there's two things that we have to work on as we deal with disruptive innovation, and these are both under the concept of being distorted. The distorted supply chain is uncertainty. The word distortion has a definition that I wasn't familiar with, but this is what it says in the dictionary. Distortion is the action of giving a misleading account or impression. And so when you distort something, you are going through a series of actions that give a misleading or account and impression. Why, why do people distort what they're doing? Because they're evil and bad? No, it's because they don't understand two words. The words uncertainty and speed. Um, don't have the time here to go in depth on uncertainty, but let me share a few anti-brittle perceptions of supply chain and uncertainty. The first uh, perception comes from a guy named Andy Stanley, and he said, uncertainty is a permanent part of the leadership landscape. It never goes away. But what do we hear people say? People say, I wish you would just like the good old days. Why do we have to change so much? Why can't we just do it like we've always done? The answer is because the game is new. It's a different game. It's a totally new game. And so uncertainty is reality. Get over it. Uh, Brian Greene said, exploring the unknown requires tolerating uncertainty. If you're going to be innovative, if you're going to incubate and try to validate some ideas, you're going to make mistakes. And so you have to be willing to accept that. You have to have the tolerance 
for making mistakes and dealing with uncertainty. Another quote I like, it says, I used to get scared by uncertainty, now I get a high out of it. Uncertainty is actually, it's, it's exciting. I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. You say, oh my goodness, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going where no one has gone before. I'm trying to solve a problem that's never been solved before. Your business needs those solutions if we're going to be successful going forward. And then the last quote I have comes from John Paul Getty. I think he knew a thing or two about creating wealth and making businesses work. He said, without the element of uncertainty, the bringing off of even the greatest business triumph would be dull, routine, and eminently unsatisfying. It's fun to embrace uncertainty. You, you get a high out of it. I get up at 2 o'clock in the morning all excited because I got these ideas. My wife said, where are you going? I said, I got to write something down. And then three hours later, I get up again and try to figure out what did I write down? I can't read my writing. But it's, uh, it's fun. It's exciting to, to be working on going where other companies haven't gone before. And certainly the things, the, the solutions, the possibilities that we're seeing here at uh, Modex are demonstrating all sorts of opportunities. And, and so instead of going in a booth and saying, well, I don't think that would work, go in a booth and say, what can I learn from this booth? What are they, what is the problem they're trying to solve and how does that relate to me? And then figure out what that works. Now, unfortunately, there's some people here that aren't trying to solve a problem. They're, I'm selling this thing. Well, spend very little time in that booth. There's a lot of other folks that are doing some really, really marvelous things here though. The other thing we have to deal with is this issue of speed. Here's a quote that when I first heard it, I didn't get it, but the more I thought about it, I thought, oh wow, that's cool. The quote says, today is the slowest day of the rest of your life. Today is the slowest, what does that mean? That means it's not about velocity, it's about acceleration. It says it doesn't matter if you're going fast, what you gotta do is you gotta go faster. Okay, and so, that, and that's not something that you or I create, that's the world, that's how it is. And so when people say, oh, well, this trade show was supposed to have more people here than they have, well, that's VUCA, that's coming. You know, and there's gonna be more and more and more surprises, you know, tariffs and earthquakes and tornadoes and, I mean, who knows what's gonna happen next. But VUCA is there and it's a part of reality. The innovation obsolescence is shorter than ever. I got my PhD in 1972. I think PhDs should be like driver's license. I think they should be worth maybe five years. After five years, you can't use it anymore. Because if I, if I stood up here and told you what I did to get my PhD, you all would leave. You would say, oh my goodness, what value is that? Now, show me a, a PhD who's continuing to be productive and, and show me a, a good MBA that's continuing to be productive. Show me a guy that never went to school but is innovative and does cool things. That's what I'm excited about. And so I think what we have to understand is whatever you thought you knew five years ago, half of it is, is obsolete. And that's kind of scary. I mean, I've forgotten a lot of stuff um, because it didn't matter anymore. And so we have to think things uh, new and, and think things in a different way. Speed, supply chain perspectives. I got a, a few quotes here that I really enjoy. It's, I had to cut this down to only four because I have a time frame here. But number one, if you're not fast, your competition will be. Okay, and so the, the, the competition is setting the pace. 
I, I was talking to a guy earlier today, and he said to me, he said, well, we're doing um, some e-commerce. We're selling on some marketplaces, but we don't really pay any attention to Amazon. They're not a competitor. Well, hello. You must be living on Mars. Everyone is a competitor of Amazon. I don't care what business you're in. I'm a competitor of Amazon. Everyone is a competitor of Amazon. And so what we need to do is we really need to be aware of the fact that the competition is moving quickly. One of the major problems we have is the large companies today, we kind of go slow. And that's kind of the, the, the culture is to just kind of get along and, well, let's have another meeting and we'll make that decision in two weeks. And then we'll, No, we can't do that. You have to stand up and tip the tables over, jump up and down, yell and scream. But we need to understand that we cannot travel at the pace that we have been traveling. We need to pick it up. Secondly, it would be where, in a world where everything is moving so rapidly, simply moving fast is not enough. You have to be faster than anyone and everyone. You gotta be faster than your competition. What is the competition doing and how do we stay ahead of them? We need to move from making a decision when you have 90% of the data, as, and now we have to make decisions when we have only 70% of the data. Now, that's a hard one for me. If I only have 90% of the data, you know what I want to do? I, I want to go get another five. <laughs> Let, let's confirm this information, okay? But guess what? It's too slow. And in fact, if you really think you have the data 98% right, it's probably obsolete because it took you too long to get there. And so we got to become a little bit more cavalier. We got to understand how to wing it, how to make good decisions with less than perfect data because the data will never, never be perfect. We got to make not just high quality decisions, but high velocity decisions. Who said that? My man Bezos. Wow. Okay. Some people say, well, when you're small, you're nimble and you make quick decisions, but when you get big, it slows down. Well, I think Basil's kind of big. I think Doug McMillan at, at Walmart, kind of big. I think uh, the folks at Target are kind of big. And guess what? They're making decisions quick. And are they screwing up? Sure, they're screwing up. But they're learning from those things and, and, and they're getting better and making it happen. So no decision that is slow is a good decision. By definition, if it's slow, it's not any good. So we have to move quickly if we're going to be successful. And so what I think what we need to focus on, what the takeaways are of, with respect to what we need to do with the future of unichannel fulfillment, is we've got to realize it's a whole new ballgame. We've got to understand that it's uh, reinvention that drives innovation and big success. So we've got to reinvent our business model. We've got to go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's important that we make that transition. We gotta make sure that we understand that lasting innovation must be anti-brittle. We can't have it be like a plate and the solution cracks into a million pieces because the, the weather's hot or the weather's cold or there's a strike or there's a tariff or there's a, no, no, no. Business has to go on and we need to be able to be successful under a series of options, not just a peak of an optimal solution. Complexity is driving the need for innovation. Um, the level of complexity in your business is much greater than it ever has been because we're trying to deal with this digital economy and trying to hang on, and therefore, what we need to do is we need to be more innovative to keep pace, to keep traveling along. 
Digital, disruptive, and distorted realities drive the speed of innovation. And so as we look at the speed at which our competition is traveling, we look at the speed at which we're traveling, what we need to do is we need to understand where do we deploy digital technology, where do we become disruptive, and, and how do we deal with distortion of reality so that we can move things forward. If we can do these things and do these things well, I think we got a great opportunity to create a whole new world of fulfillment. We need to understand how can I fill store orders, how can I fill drop ship orders, how can I fill wholesale orders, how can I fill buy online pickup in store, how can I fill buy online deliver from store, how can I fill buy online deliver to home, how can I deal with that level of commerce in an integrated solution that will allow me to adapt for the month to month to month evolution of our business and, and do that while um, being innovative and creative. So lots of exciting thoughts to come from where we are and where we're heading. Um, I would encourage you to use this show as a stimulator of thought so that you go back and you have five specific innovations that you can work on and that allows you to become more successful and, and then have more influence and therefore drive the firm to the next level, the next level, and the next level. Um, I'm supposed to be done now, um, so I appreciate you coming. I don't think they used the room for another 30 minutes, so if you have a question, I don't think this room is the best for me to try to handle questions, but come on up and say hi. We will get you the handout, and uh, I thank you very much.